0: Lord God, our Saviour, we ask you now to help us, to comfort and strengthen and keep us. We thank you that you are willing to aid us, that you will carry us through. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You're driving along and up in the sky is the most beautiful sunrise or sunset and it's amazing. While on the car radio, the news tells of amazingly tragic events, a stabbing here, a bomb alert there, more pain and suffering. Or you've gone for a walk and you're standing at a beauty spot enjoying a scenic view while all around and along the path were the takeaway wrappers and the litter. Or you've heard the great news of a baby being born while at the same time you hear of a neighbour or a friend. Or a family member who has got bad news. Or a diagnosis. Or has died. Perhaps you've experienced something a bit like that yourself. You get a glimpse of God's good creation. And yet at the same time, we know that we're not in Eden anymore. So how do we get from there? To hear. How did things turn out so wrong? How was paradise lost? And can we ever get back there? Well, that's what Genesis 3 tells us. It would be good to have it open in front of you. Because here uh, we see how we got into this mess in the first place. How the circumstances of the first sin are actually so familiar to us in our daily lives. And how there might be the glimmers of hope, even in the midst of despair. To set the scene, you need to remember where our first parents are living. They're in the Garden of Eden, at that perfect paradise created by God for Adam and Eve. There is perfect provision. Uh, all kinds of trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food. They have a perfect relationship with each other. Uh, they are naked but with no shame. And they have perfect fellowship with God. Who comes to walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. God's perfect paradise. There was just one rule that they had to follow. Only one command to be obeyed, one limit. The tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They could eat of any other tree's fruit, but they weren't allowed to eat that tree's fruit. As God had told Adam in chapter 2, verse 17, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And so, for a while, Everything was perfect. Adam and Eve cared for the garden. They enjoyed the perfection of paradise, but trouble was brewing. At the start of chapter 3, we're told that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. But don't just think of a talking snake. You see, later in the Bible, we discover that the ancient serpent here is none other than the devil or Satan, who stands in rebellion against God and seeks to recruit Adam and Eve to his side. And he does it by questioning God's word. Do you see what he says there in verse 1? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden"? He's testing what God had said. He's sowing doubt and confusion. Eve says that they can eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden, just not from the tree in the middle of the garden. But did you notice that either Eve herself or maybe Adam in passing on the command has actually added to God's word? Look at verse 3. Do you see the extra bit? Uh, She says, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. We'll look across the column to verse 17. God hasn't mentioned not touching it. Maybe it was an extra safety barrier. Maybe they thought if we don't touch it, then we'll definitely not eat it. But it's that last phrase in verse 3. That the serpent seizes on. He says you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. Again the serpent is denying God's word. He's saying God's a liar. You can't trust his word. He suggests that. God is holding something back from them that God isn't really good as if God was afraid that they would become like him or equal to him and so Eve focuses her attention on the forbidden fruit she knows that God has said no and yet she is gripped by it it's a bit like you know the sign that says wet paint do not touch What do you want to do when you read a sign like that? You want to touch it. Or the sign that says, don't walk on the grass. That's exactly where you want to go. And so here, Eve sees that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom. And so she takes it and eats it to give some to her husband, and he eats it. And they imagined that this would be a glorious moment, a coming of age, of equality with God. And as they bite, as they disobey the only command God had given them, suddenly they realise what they have done. They have bitten off more than they can chew. They already knew what God—sorry, uh, what good was beforehand. But now they have the knowledge of evil. Experiencing it and knowing it firsthand. <clears throat> Their eyes were opened. And they realized that they are naked. And so they, say, they, so they sew fig leaves together. To attempt to cover themselves up. They know Shame for the first time they try to hide from each other but more than that they try to hide from God and then God turns up for his usual evening walk with them and they hide they can't bear to come before him and so the Lord God calls to the man where are you Now, it's never happened to me. This is not personal experience. Uh, but there's this story about the minister who's out on visits. And he knocks at a particular door. Uh, and you know the way you have the sense that somebody's inside, but they're not answering. Uh, and he, he just has this sense that the lady is there, that she's inside, but she's not answering the door. And so he leaves this card and he writes on the back, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, Sunday morning comes. And the lady slips a little card into his hand at the door. And it is Genesis chapter 3, verse 10 written on it. And so he goes and he gets his Bible and he finds these words. I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. (laughs) So I hid Adam and Eve hid themselves because they knew that they were naked. They couldn't face coming before God. And actually we've been hiding from God ever since. We know that we can't stand before him by ourselves. We have all done things that he doesn't like. We have all disobeyed his commands. We are naked before the all-seeing, all-knowing God. But then it gets even worse. Rather than owning up to it, admitting his sin, confessing his sin, Adam begins the first ever blame game. Maybe you've seen this in your workplace. Something happens... Not my fault. It must be someone else's fault. And the blame is past. The children are right. Maybe you've seen it at home. You know, something gets broken. It wasn't me, it must be my brother or my sister. So look at what Adam says in verse 12. Adam says, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So according to Adam, it's either Eve's fault because she gave me the fruit or it's God's fault because, well, you put her here in the first place. And Eve, when God asks her in verse 13, she doesn't own up either. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Well you could say that Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. So what happened next? Well immediately we see God's grace towards Adam and Eve. God could have executed the death penalty straight away, but then none of us would be here today. There are consequences and curses, but we also see God's love and grace and mercy in operation as well. First of all, God curses the serpent. He will crawl on his belly and eat dust. But the curse is given so that Adam and Eve hear it. And look at verse 15. God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his hand. God promises a serpent crusher. God says that there will be enmity between the serpent and the woman, between his offspring and her offspring. But then comes the promise, and look carefully, it's different. So you have uh, the serpent and the woman, the serpent's offspring and, and her offspring, uh, the, the woman's offspring, he will crush, whose head? The serpent's head. And the serpent will crush uh, sorry, will strike uh, her offspring's heel. The serpent will strike his heel, a bad wound. But in doing so, the woman's offspring will crush the serpent's head, a fatal blow. Next, God curses the woman, pain in childbirth and desiring to overcome her husband and to rule over him. And then comes the curse on Adam. Sometimes, sometimes people read these verses and think that work itself is the curse. That having to go to work is the result of the fall. But God curses the work that was already in place before the fall. Adam and Eve were already employed in working and caring for the earth. The difference now is that there is frustration in work. Now, you don't need to put your hand up. But have you ever had any frustration in work? Even that little noise gives a hint, doesn't it? You see, when you're experiencing this curse, painful toil, thorns and thistles, sweat, and then finally returning to the ground, dust to dust. At the very end of the chapter, Adam and Eve are banished from the garden. They are separated from God's presence. They are barred from eating from the tree of life. There's no way back past the cherubim, the uh, the fiery angel, and the flaming sword. And so we find ourselves east of Eden living in this paradise lost world it explains why the world is the way that it is it's through sin through adam and eve's sin but also through our sin as well but is that it well thankfully not there is good news in this chapter Adam and Eve had sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. But look at verse 21. In verse 21, God clothes them in garments of skin. It's a picture of sacrifice, of covering of sin, covering of shame. The animal died. Its blood was shed to provide covering for them. And that's a hint of the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. But there's more. You see, Jesus himself bore the curse for us. Jesus died on the cross naked in shame so that we would be clothed and covered, clothed in his perfect righteousness. And what did Jesus wear on the cross? As he hung on the cross, what was he wearing? He had nothing on his body. His clothes had been gambled for by the soldiers. But on his head was the crown of thorns. The thorns of the curse are borne by the Saviour. It's at the cross that Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. You see, Satan thought that he had finished Jesus by engineering his death. But it was like a strike to the heel because Jesus rose again from the dead. But in doing so, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. He has defeated the devil. The cross was the means of the long-promised, long-anticipated victory. And because Jesus died on the cross, he has opened up the new and living way for us to come to God. He opens up the way for us to eat from the tree of life. In Revelation 22, we have that picture of the new heavens and the new earth, at the new Jerusalem, and flowing from the throne of God is the river of the water of life. And on each side of the river is the tree of life. There for us to take and eat and live forever. Paradise may have been lost, but it can be regained. Genesis 3 explains why this world is the way that it is. Perhaps as we look at Genesis 3 this morning, you're getting a glimpse into the way life is for you. The pain and agony of broken relationships. The never ending blame game, frustration at work, separation from God. This is life as you know it. But Genesis 3 also points to the way that life should be, the way that it can be when you turn back to God. All those glimpses and hints and pointers to the perfect work. Of the Lord Jesus. Who lived the perfect life. Who died an undeserved death. In order to bring rebellious sinners like you and me back to God. All it takes is to trust him. To believe that Jesus died for you in your place. Your life, it will be turned around. Your future in heaven guaranteed. And all because Jesus has carried the curse that we deserve. And offers us life everlasting. Never ending peace. A hope that is sure and certain. Let's pray. Father, as we... See the roots of our sin and our share in them. We pray that we would know your grace to help us when we are tempted, to help us when we fall into temptation. Help us to know the serpent crusher Help us to know the Savior. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.